Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open them, and I would just tell you to, uh, to start with, you can open to Genesis chapter 2, but we'll be in a, in a number of places tonight as we uh, begin a new series called Wonderful Counseling, and uh, the tagline there is Biblical Answers for Everyday Questions. And uh, let me pray for us, and we're going to jump right in as I've got way too many notes, um, and I probably, that's, that's like when you used to hear people that would start off by saying, y'all pray for me, I hadn't practiced, or... Uh, this is going to be rough and stuff like that. When you say how many notes you've got, I don't know if y'all settle in or like, man, that sounds great, or you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to be here forever. Uh, we're going to be timely, and we're going to work through it and listen fast, and uh, thank you for being here tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we ask God that uh, simply and seriously that your uh, spirit would guide us into all truth. God, that your word would be very real and present in our mind and heart tonight, and uh, Lord, as we work through the principles, through the words of your Bible, God, that we would be uh, not just hearers of the word, but doers, and Lord, you would speak to us in our heart on the issues that we have, and uh, or maybe that, maybe that we will have, and Lord, that we would just give you our complete attention tonight. Lord, I pray for uh, the students, and I pray for our children tonight, Lord, and uh, God, that uh, again, that you would have uh, full glory and full of our full attention, Lord, as we seek to, to live in this world and be a light in the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. I have read that 47% of Americans believe that seeking therapy or counseling is a sign of weakness. Think about that stat for just a moment. 47% of Americans believe that seeking therapy or counseling is a sign of weakness. Now, that's an interesting stat. Basically, that means that one out of every two people feel they themselves, or people in general should handle all of their issues without the voice of anyone else, without the voice of another. So just as a, a clear-cut statement on the front, and, and this is not, what we're not going into is an endorsement of one kind of therapy or another. That's not where we're headed. But just as a, a quick and plain statement, God has not created us to exist within ourselves. We are created for relationships. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 Genesis 2.18, the Bible says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And what followed, that we all know, is that God provided Eve for Adam. Eve, a helper for Adam. Adam, a helper for Eve. They are not independent of one another. That is the idea of a helpmate for each other within the spouse. And since then, Human relationship was poured into the very nature of every person thereafter. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone needs to drop what they're doing and go get married, right? And get on FarmersOnly.com for the rest of the night and try their best to find a spouse. That, that, the teaching there doesn't mean that everybody should get married and get married right now. But it does mean that we are all hardwired for helpful relationships, for helpful relationships. If this is the biblical truth, that we are all not to be independent of one another in the church, that we are hardwired and built for helpful relationships, if that is the truth, why would you keep trustworthy people out of your problems? Why would you keep people at a distance when you are going through difficult times? Consider this from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. To fall alone is in, in real trouble. I'd like to take a, a second for those of us who, who come to church. If you've been going to church for a long time 
And, and maybe even more specifically, if, if you've been coming to this church for a while, you have relationships here, you are plugged in, you know a lot of folks, and maybe you've been in groups for a long time, or maybe you came here because a friend or family member invited you, and, and you are connected in this church. I know we have people on Wednesday nights that are, that are connected to, to different churches that attend here on Wednesday night. And so I'd even like to encourage you, if you are connected in your place of worship and you've been connected for a long time, there is a, a very real reason that people visit churches, especially in January or any, through, any time throughout the year. One of the reasons they visit is because they want to belong to a community. They, they are seeking a sense of belonging that they are not finding anywhere else. They, they are not born five minutes from here. They, they don't know a lot of people here. They were not connected by friends and family. They are here seeking that, and they are lonely, and they too need helpful relationships. Sometimes people don't need to, within, you know, I see it as, as within our church, sometimes people don't need to seek out professional counseling relationships because they have a multitude of counselors from their own community. They know who to go to. They know who to talk to that will give them godly counsel, people that they know, people that they trust, people that they know will help them. And so when we think about who is here and how many are here and who is here that we don't know, what I'm not for is forced relationships, but what I am for is intentional efforts. Intentional efforts by those who would find themselves on the inside, reaching out to those who they would think are on the outside looking in. So let me ask you a question that I often ask as a leader in ministry, a leader in ministry here at this church. Let me, often, let me ask this question that I, I love asking and challenging ourselves with, which is, when is the last time you've made a new friend at church? When is the last time you reached out to someone outside of the circle that you, you always reside in? The friends and family that are so comfortable that you love to fellowship with, there are people on the outside of those circles that would love to be a part of something like that, that would love to have an inside joke, that would, would love to serve together and know who you actually are. When's the last time that you've actually made a, a new friend in the place of worship that you are in? Because last week, last Sunday at, at Lindsay Lane, we had a great crowd. We had nine families that filled out a Connect card. Just from Sunday alone, nine families that filled out a Connect card. That's nine families seeking a church family. That's nine families seeking what many of us already have. Is that yes, they know the Lord and they have come to worship, but they want to be a part of the body. And the scripture says that God puts the lonely together in families. So the question for all of us, especially in a Wednesday night crowd, is this can we help them succeed? Can, can, will we reach out and will we help them? Because someone who falls alone, the Bible says, is in real trouble. I should also suggest that, and, and I love this, but when, you, when we think about counseling and biblical answers for everyday questions, I would suggest to you that when you are considering who to work with when you are going through difficult times in your life, you know, the one who created the original helpmate to begin with is still alive and well. The one who created Eve for Adam, still in play. And the Bible calls him the wonderful counselor in Isaiah chapter 9. In Psalm chapter 46 verse 1, the Bible says that God is our refuge and he is our strength. He is a very present help in times of trouble. The New Living Translation says he is always ready to help in times of trouble. So the purpose of this series is, is not to lead you to determine if you need personal counseling or explain our counseling systems at Lindsay Lane. 
that's really not what we're trying to do here is, is for you to one-on-one come up to every single leader of the church after this and say, do you think I need counseling and this, is this what this is about? Well, we'll help you with that. Now, that's what I don't want you to misunderstand. If you are thinking about that and thinking about what to do next, we will absolutely help you with that. We do have a team of counselors here that are not licensed therapists, but, and they're not professional counselors. They are people that know the Bible and are gifted at counseling. And they would be glad to sit down with you and help you work through issues because we want to help you. And the truth is, is, is this is not something that I do by myself, not at all. And in fact, it's quite the opposite. There are a number of people here at our church that are equipped to help you through the issues that you are working with. But the purpose of this series is, while it's not so much about connecting you with someone else for counseling, it is about connecting you to God's voice over issues, connecting you to God's voice over everyday questions. And the reason why that is important is because God would not save you from the world to have you be counseled by the world. Did you hear that? God would not save you from this world to have you run into the world to be counseled by it. The help you receive, however you receive it, should be grounded in the truth of Almighty God. I have, I've heard of a situation recently that that's not connected to this church at all, uh, of a young couple that, that's going through a difficult time. And one, of that, one half of that young couple, who is a believer, by the way, is not seeking to be in front of Christian counseling. One half of that couple wants to be in front of Christian counseling. The other half of that couple, who is a professing Christian, does not want to go see a pastor, a decision counselor, a Christian counselor of any kind. Do you know why? They already know what they're going to get. Isn't that the truth? Why do, we, why do we avoid church on some Sundays or church on some Wednesdays or the devotionals we usually read? Why do we usually avoid those? It's because we know what's going to happen when we open up that Bible. When we turn on the sermon that God's truth is going to get in front of us and the Holy Spirit of God together with the Word of God always cuts. It cuts to the heart. But that's exactly what we need. I remember as a kid, you know, as, as a kid, your, your parents, they would get on to you, they would discipline you, and they would do so with the truth. And in the moment, you hate it. You can't stand it. You don't want to be around it. And then a little bit later, you know that's exactly what you needed. When I'm in a place where I need to make a decision, and I mean make a decision that is weighing on my heart, that is very heavy, and it's not already a given decision that's already been made. When I'm in a place when I need to know how I feel, if I've been hurt, if I'm frustrated, if I'm sad, if I'm fearful, if I'm, a, if I'm any of those things, I, when, when I need to know how to have emotion, but not for emotion to have me, if that makes sense. When I'm in a place of brokenness, when my life is not functioning like I wanted it to, or it's not functioning like it used to, or as it is desired to do so. Truly, in those places, I reach this place where I get real simple about it, and I try to get quiet alone with this Bible book right here and open it until the Lord speaks. I really do. I trust God's word to give me wisdom. James 1.5 says if we'll, if we'll ask him for it, he will give it to us. And so if we will open God's word with an open heart and not be so worried that we've never read all of these commentaries and we don't know that we can understand the Bible, if we will open the Bible, trust the Holy Spirit, seek God for wisdom, we'll find him. I really believe that. 
And so that's the purpose when we are looking through this wonderful counselor and biblical answers to life's questions. When we are working through these things, it's, it, yes, we will connect you to people that can help you work through issues. Primarily, primarily, though, we want to connect you to the voice of God, to the Word of God, and see what God's Word says about whatever it is the issue is that you're dealing with. And so because of this, uh, I want to present you with common questions throughout this series and on certain issues, and that certain issue that we're going to deal with tonight is on anger. I want to deal with anger tonight. According to a recent survey, 84% of Americans are currently angrier than a generation ago. Nobody's surprised by that, right? 84% of Americans are currently angrier than a generation before. Uh, just the other night when we returned, we returned home from somewhere, and uh, we went and picked up fast food, and we get home, we, we take it all the way home, we get it out, and everybody's food was in the bag except mine. <laughs> Anybody testify to that? Like, right? And you know, I mean, like, seriously, like, I'm getting everybody's food out, man, we're all looking forward to sitting down finally at the end of the day, eating together, everybody's got their stuff, and I'm like, oh, where is mine? <laughs> now, never mind that I could have checked the bag before we left. But that's, that's a, beside the point. But that, that's a lighthearted example of, of how daily situations present you with daily frustrations that could lead to anger. But if 84% of Americans are currently angrier than a generation before, I would imagine it's not because of fast food. I saw a word that jumped off the page at me uh, relative to the current culture. And I believe the feeling of this word is, is really a current reason why everybody's just so mad. On both sides of the political aisle, across the board, it just seems like so many people are so frustrated. And one of the words I think attached to this current anger climate is this, helplessness. Helplessness. It seems like both sides see the world as a hopeless, helpless situation that will not be fixed no matter what they do, no matter how they vote no matter who's in office, no matter what efforts they make on a small scale, there's nothing, nothing that could ever be big enough to actually help their personal situation. And people are beginning to feel this in our world, it's, that, that it's becoming this terrible place, so terrible that we would never want to raise a family, and they have this feeling that's, that's anger that is never going to get better. And because it's never going to get better, anger is just going to remain within me. Well, that's a terrible base belief. This is a terrible base belief if it's just helplessness that we're just going to live in here, try to have as much fun as we can, and we're going to die somewhere and hope all for the best. That's a terrible base belief. It's a helplessness belief that says everything is out of control, will remain out of control, but true hopefulness says that God is sovereign. Hopefulness says that God is in control, that the whole world belongs to God, that I belong to God, and therefore what disappoints me, God is over it, and he is in control over it. And even according to the scripture, what disappoints me, he can use even what disappoints me to develop character within me. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, familiar verses, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are who are called according to his purpose for them. All things work together for the glory of God. Amen? For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So with, with that in place, let, let me ask three questions and answer three questions 
relative to anger. And the first question is this, is anger a sin? Is anger by itself, left alone, is anger a sin? And the answer to that is very simple, it's no. The idea that anger is a sin is relative to the expression. That's why people think that anger by itself is a sin because most of the time anger is expressed in a way that's not godly or not under unrighteous. If we think that anger is a sin, that would be like thinking that happiness is, is, is a obedience to God. And so anger is just an emotion. It's just like any other emotion that is God-given. A common verse of reference that when you bring up from Scripture is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Do not sin by letting your anger control you. The anger that belongs to you is not a sin until it controls you, until it leads your expressions. It's not the emotion of anger that's in, that is sinful, it's the control of it. More support for the decisive answer to the question of is anger a sin is that God has anger. Now, if God had anger, then it's just not a sin. Like, I, I, this is a very important point for us to consider tonight. If you're thinking, if God himself has anger, if Jesus was angry, then he must not be holy. If you're thinking that because God, Jesus, have, has, had anger, then they must not be holy. You've got your thinking backwards. Try this, if God had anger and Jesus was angry, then anger must not be sinful. That is the way to think about that because God has the absolute authority in all matters. Here's a biblical truth, and it'll help you when you start to think about the character of God. God cannot sin. He cannot sin. In 1 John chapter 1, verse five, God is light, there is no darkness in him at all. None. Why is God out to get you? He's not. He's out to save you, redeem you. He created you. He's not out to, he's not out to get you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So those are things that we feel, though. We feel that God must be this way if we feel this way. That, that's the feelings upside the truth. Try putting the truth upside your feelings. Here's a quote to consider. When our perception of reality is refuted by God's word, we need to change our perception. God in his relative attributes, and his relative attributes means the, the relationship attributes that he has to his creation. God in his relative attributes had anger, but he is also not controlled by anger. Thankfully so. For if God were controlled by his anger at any moment, this would not be happening. We would all be wiped from the face of the earth. And you think, well, okay, I read something about that. What about the flood? The flood was a consequence of sin set forth by the justice of a holy God. If you study that, the flood was not, absolutely not, an outburst of anger. It was an act of decisive judgment. Read it there in the scripture. Don't confuse the two between, well, God must have been angry, and he absolutely just threw water over everything. Not over everything, right? Not over everything. If in his anger was unbridled, he, he would have had instantly terminated all creation. And maybe even Noah and his family with it. But not only did he preserve those in the family of faith, that is Noah, but also God announced his judgment and it happened a while after that. Slow to anger. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 31, 29. 
that Moses said to Israel, I now, uh, now that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and will turn from the way I've commanded you to follow. In the days to come, disaster will come down on you, for you will do what is evil in the Lord's sight, making him very angry with your actions. Chapter 32, verse 16 says, they stirred up his jealousy by worshiping foreign gods. They provoked his fury with detestable deeds. In fact, Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the Bible even describes God having the feeling of hate in some instances. The feeling of hate, a strong, desperate dislike for those that absolutely forfeited and, and looked down upon the covenant of God. God had hatred towards that. But see, we think that that's sin because we know where our hatred goes. We know where our hatred or what we, where the history of our, our country, if there's hatred attached to the things that we see on the screens, we, we know those things to be, be wrong. But God is not controlled by emotion. He is also not void of those relative attributes. And when there is a recognition of other gods like there were here in the scriptures, when you have his people who are recognizing other gods who do not exist, when you have his people that were created for his glory doing terrible and hateful things, God's anger is stirred up, and it ought to be. Child sacrifice. That make you mad? This is the, this is the ultimate abuse. Worshiping other gods, when, when he was the one true God who led his people from oppression, and then all of a sudden they start praying to gods who did nothing. Like this, this made him angry. This is his people. That's not right. That is an injustice. The point is, is God gave emotion and the emotion of anger because sometimes, y'all listening, sometimes you ought to be angry. Sometimes you ought to get fighting mad as an expression. And so for those of you that would say, well, I don't know about that. I mean, I don't think that I would ever have flipped over those tables in the temple like Jesus did. Well, maybe you should have. And maybe you ought to think that way. That if somebody set up shopping here in the sanctuary on Sunday morning making a desecration of, of God's gathering, that maybe we ought to be ticked off by that. Your anger is a signal that something is wrong. And again, the perception is not ours to form. Listen to this. The perception is not ours to form, but ours to conform. That we conform to the image of God. We conform to the perception of God and that he has all authority on all matters. Second question, are there righteous forms of anger? And the answer to that is yes. Are there righteous forms of anger? Uh, not too long ago, we are at a basketball game. Uh, a friend of ours is uh, a very colorful person. Love her personality. Brittany and I are, are sitting there, and the game's over, and uh, we, we are about to walk out of the gym, and all of a sudden we hear her a, a few rows behind us, and she goes, ah, ah, ah. And I'm like, what is happening? She goes, you come here right now. She wasn't talking to me. She was talking to a, a little kid that was about a few rows down, and we look up there, and she's like, you get over here right now. And I was like, what is going on? And all of a sudden, she's got him, and it's a very, you can tell there's a relationship there, and she's nose to nose with this kid. That's not hers, <laughs> but she knows him, and she's got a relationship with him. All of a sudden, she goes, go get them two then, and Lord have mercy, he goes, oh my gosh. 
So he starts, and then he goes getting a couple of other boys and brings them back to him. And all of a sudden, we start catching wind of the conversation. And she says, what y'all are doing is bullying, and y'all are a bunch of punks. She said, is that dollar in your hand yours, or does that belong to that kid right over there? They said that one. She said, you take that dollar, and you go give it right back to him, and you get right back over here. Now, right or wrong, that's a righteous form of anger. And she stood up for what was right and made them stand down to what was wrong without losing her mind. You said, while we can have a righteous form of anger, though, here's the problem. We are not fully God. We are not fully God. Therefore, we have to be so careful to process and express the emotion of anger. We have to do that by the Spirit of God. We have to do that by the Word of God. And so with that, and this is going to be one of those, those passages that you really, it would, it would take more time to study tonight, but if you could turn to Numbers chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31. And I'll direct your attention to, to verses 16. In fact, in Numbers chapter 31, I'll, I'll just, the, the subheading is the conquest of the Midianites. And I want to give you the context here before we read a little bit of uh, verse 16. God had called a people for himself. And he had called Israel to be the people of God, that they would be his people, he would be their God. And to the world, he would reveal himself, and he would institute the source of blessing that would benefit the entire world all the way to Jesus. This is important. God was raising up a people, taking care of that people, and through that people would be the salvation of the world. So in, in Numbers chapter 31, God had warned this people. He had warned the Israelites about other rival people groups that would infiltrate the ranks, so to speak, and begin to draw them away from the one true God. And he warned them specifically here about non-Israelites, non-God-fearing women having direct influence over Israelite men. That is the context of the scripture. The Midianites, and not just the women, but the Midianites in general. The Midianites had led many of God's people towards idolatry. And they had led the people of God away from God. And because God was establishing his glory and establishing his truth in front of the whole world for them to see, God would not stand for a rival influence to remain amongst Israel. So he had Moses get the troops together and go and take down the people group of the Midianites. Specifically, because it mentions here specifically the women who had direct influence over the Israelite men, they were to take all them out, and specifically them. When Israel fought against Midian at the Lord's request, the Midianite women, however, were captured and then brought back, but they were not executed. Now, if you read specifically, it's not all of the Midianite women, but it's a great number of them, and they were captured by the Israelite army, but they were not executed. And the scripture says, Moses got mad. He was ticked off that this happened. Why was he angry? Because God said it to be one way and they did it another. And the Bible says in Numbers chapter 31, 16, they, speaking of the Midianite women, they were the very ones who caused the people of God to rebel against Israel. Now, it may seem hard to receive this as we read, but Moses followed through. What happens next is 
is Moses tells the Israelite men, the Israelite leaders, put them to death. He has them executed and put to death. So how in the world is this righteous anger? It's righteous because Moses' actions were in line with God's specific commands. That is obedience. And again, you're looking at, you got to look at the big picture of Scripture and what God is trying to protect, preserve, all the way to the salvation that we receive. And, and so with that, it's righteous because Moses was doing what God had said to do. Moses didn't respond, however, by killing all the troops that weren't obedient. So he got angry, but he didn't say, now which of y'all brought these ladies back and didn't do what God said? Kill them too. You see, he didn't do that. And he also did not kill every single person in the land of Midian, because that would have been out of anger as well. No, he had the guilty executed as he was instructed by God to carry out full vengeance. This is a vicious story. I realize that. It is a vicious story. But Moses' anger carried with it an expression of obedience. Now, what this is not saying is for you to go bomb an abortion clinic. That's not what the Bible is telling you. And if you were to say tonight, God told me different, I'm going to say he didn't. It's saying that the expressed emotion that is given by God must be expressed within the will and the standard of God. And I don't think any one of y'all are about to bomb an abortion clinic. But, but we have these, these, these ideas of righteousness that we attach to our feelings that go to the extremes, and all of a sudden we said God told us to when he did not and has not spoken to that. The holy war that we are now fighting is a spiritual one. Y'all understand that? The holy war that we fight now is a spiritual one. We war not against, not against flesh and blood, but, but against powers of spiritual darkness. We, we war against an evil war, an, an evil and the powers of darkness, and we war how? We war through our faithful witness. And we war through obedience to God's word. That is how we, we handle spiritual warfare now, with the sword of, of God's word. Question three. With all of this in place, how do I control my anger? And that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? So how do I control my anger? Because now knowing that we all have the emotion of it, and now knowing that it's okay when it signals that something is wrong, it's unjust, and we're frustrated by it, we have anger, and now we realize it's accountable to God to be obedient to God, then how do we do that? Well, here, here are three things to think about before we go. First of all, you've got to release your old anger. Now, now think with me. I don't know everybody's situation. I really don't. And just as we had on Sunday, we talked about work. We can't touch every single person's situation when we, when we talk about a topical thing in Scripture. Here, when we say release your old anger, whatever it is that you have in your past that holds your heart, or at least a piece of it, whatever it is that, that, that you, God is, is working to turn you loose of, but you hold on to because you're frustrated and maybe even it's justified. If you don't deal with past hurts and disappointments, if you don't deal with frustrations and injustices, you are not in danger of just being angry here and there. You are in danger of becoming an angry person. Does that make sense? It's not about you just being, you know, sometimes I get angry and sometimes I get frustrated. No, that's your attitude and disposition when you seek and walk into the next relationship. 
It may be that some of you are visiting here tonight and you have not dealt with the anger of the church that you just left from, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, we didn't leave there on good terms, we had a bad experience. If you don't deal with that, you're going to bring that in here, right? So, so you have to go, to, there, there's biblical ways to deal with this and the systems to deal with things that are bothering you, but, but when you look at the old things that are still bubbling up, if you leave them unresolved, they will flesh themselves out. One person said that unresolved anger is a bed of hidden coals burning deep wounds into your relationship with God and with others. So you can't act like it didn't happen. And you've got to be honest about your feelings. And this is where I would advise you to be honest about your feelings with the Lord. And you'd be like, well, the Lord knows. Have you told God specifically, like, like for real told him exactly how you feel? Not putting on airs like, I don't want him to know how I feel. Well, he knows already. He might as well go on. Have you told God exactly the feelings that you are dealing with? And let me ask you, have you told someone that you trust for godly counsel? Have you opened that up with them? Somebody that you know is, is going to, to help you. Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. This is what the Bible says. And this is one of those I'm just going to read it. And if this is you, just let God's word wash over you. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves... You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy to start with. Tender-hearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Y'all know when the Bible says that we're to be clothed by those things, that does not mean that we are just to receive them, but we're to wear them and so that others can benefit from them. Make allowance for each other's faults. You hear that one again? Let me read the Word of God. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must be, or you must forgive others. Well, we all love reading that one, don't we? The Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive others. I'm pretty sure it was uh, Ruth Bell Graham that said marriage is a union of two forgivers. And Brittany and I have added to that that marriage is a union between two losers. That you've got to understand that losing and giving up your way and denying yourself is part of a healthy marriage. Above all, the Bible says, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ, the peace that comes from Christ, rule in your hearts. So that there must, you must reach this point of releasing your old anger into forgiveness. You must release it with mercy and humility, knowing as you are trying to forgive somebody else that God himself has not trying, but he has already finished the work of forgiveness in your own life. And God can use all circumstances in your life to develop the character of Christ in you. But you've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. Now, what that does not mean is I'm up here going, what's your problem? Just let it go. So easy, man. Like, you're going to have to work through that. You have to grind through that. How often? How often do you need to, right? I mean, every moment, every day, yield to the Spirit. Release your anger. How do I control my anger? Second, pads on first. What in the world does that mean? Pads on first. There's some wisdom in avoiding people in situations that make you mad. It really is. There's great wisdom in not putting yourself in situations where you know you're going to get mad. Some of y'all should not watch the Iron Bowl together with fans from the other side. You just shouldn't. I mean, 
I've told y'all this before. I think I've even said it from the pulpit. My wife and I have never watched an iron bowl together in the same room. That's so sad. Maybe, or maybe it's wisdom. Just saying. <laughs> this is the point where I usually go, no, I'm just kidding. We can handle it. I don't have any of that. That's the actual truth. And there's some wisdom in avoiding people or situations that make you mad. It really is. But you can't avoid all people and situations. I realize I've brought Brittany up a few times. Brittany's in the student ministry on Wednesday nights with them, and usually when I bring up stories with us, she's like, did you, did you run that by me at all? So she's going to be bombarded with you. I've never watched an Iron Bowl together. It's fine. She's prepared. You can't avoid all people in all situations. So what, what does that mean? It means you've got to put your pads on first. All right, and what are we referring to? Obviously, this is a sports connection. Which would you rather do? Would you rather put your pads on before a football game, or would you rather put them on after, after you get hit? That's often what we do. We react instead of prepare. We are, are going to God and asking God for forgiveness for getting outside of ourselves in our anger instead of asking God, God, by your spirit when the situation comes, that I would be slow to anger. I'll just tell you, this is so, so sad but I'm just going to be transparent with you. The first time, one of the first times I ever learned this for real was in men's slow pitch softball. I wish I had a better example. That's the absolute truth. Because I'm competitive, too competitive. In fact, I've learned to not be as competitive, and I'm learning that for real. But there were times when we would play and compete, and a call wouldn't go your way, and there were times when people weren't acting right and all these things. And I found myself going in the games going, Lord, I'm not going to lose my witness out here on this wreck ball field. Are you hearing me? Like, Lord, I, I'm serious. I don't want to be out here in this community acting like a fool. So, so, God, would you please, by your spirit, help me to be slow to anger. And all of a sudden, you don't care about the things that you thought you'd care about as much. Because it's, it's it doesn't add up to what God sees as is, is completely valuable. And there's situations like that. And, and maybe you're going, you, some of y'all, a good situation, a good example would have been the holidays. You are going to a family member's house that drives you crazy. They absolutely, you, you, you have a hard time being around them. Everything that you don't want to talk about is everything that they do want to talk about. They got things that they bring up all the time that you thought you put underneath, you know, time and it's gone over. And, and so usually what happens is we're going, God, forgive me because I shouldn't have said that. Instead of God, please help me not to say that. Put your pads on first. So often we, we find ourselves reacting in faith rather than preparing in faith. And when up against situations that lean itself towards provoking anger, and some of you that, that are in the workforce, you've got to have difficult conversations. Difficult conversations. Some of you know that that could happen any day. Are, are you praying before the day gets started when you are having these one-on-one -on -one conversations? You're having to deal with people. When you're dealing with the public or out in public, are you taught with a teacher, whatever it is? Are you praying after or before? Because Ephesians 6, 11 says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. That implies the following order because one is put on all of God's armor. The second thing mentioned is the strategies of the devil. That means get dressed first and stand firm second. Get dressed first and stand firm second. God's truth, what is the armor of God? God's truth his righteousness, his peace, faith, salvation, and taking up the word of God. All of those things are to be put on so that we will resist the enemy in the time of evil. That's what the Bible says. Third thing and final. Tie yourself down. How do you control your anger? You tie yourself down. The scripture says in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Understand this, my brothers and sisters. 
You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Understand this, my brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I find myself either being reminded by the Holy Spirit of God of this each week or coming across it somehow each week as as I deal in, in the processes of people. Slow to speak, slow to get angry, quick to listen. Slow responses, and when you say tie yourself down, slow responses are driven by the Spirit of God. So, so how does one work to get slow? You ever even considered that concept? How, how do you work to actually get yourself in a slow situation? Have you ever seen a running parachute? You ever seen those? And, and I wish I had brought up a picture. That would have been a helpful visual. If you'd like to Google running parachute, you can. But if you've ever seen a running parachute, you essentially put a harness around your waist, and as you run, the parachute expands, and then it causes or forces drag. So the harder you work, it actually is slowing you up, but it makes you stronger. So when we run in the world, you have to run with the restraint of the Word of God. And when you run with the restraint of the word of God, it actually slows you down while making you stronger. And that's when we arrive at the place of slow to speak and slow to get angry because we believe God's way is better. Our minds and hearts have been saturated in it. We are walking with God by the spirit. Therefore, we don't blow up and burn down when something happens. Tie yourself down. After that scripture in James, the Bible says for us to humbly accept the word of God planted in your hearts. And then it goes on to say, listen and obey the word. We prayed that tonight, not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Do what it says, the Bible says. Do what it says and don't forget it, it goes on to say in James. And then it goes on to say, then if we will, that God will bless us for doing it. He will bless us for doing it. Tie yourself down. You know, it's real easy to talk about how, man, I'm just hardwired to get angry. When you can say that hardwire changes, That's what happens is God's Spirit begins to work inside of you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases God, the Bible says. Amen? That is the first of many to come, Lord willing, where we will look at biblical counseling from a biblical perspective. And again, I would leave you with the thought that we are not to form perception on our own, but to conform to the truth of the Word of God. Amen and amen. 720, professionally done again. We do so good on Wednesday nights, right? Sunday mornings we have sort of a challenge with, uh, but we'll just stay to something happens. Amen and amen. Man, we had a great crowd on uh, Sunday. Again, lots of visitors, uh, lots of folks in the children's building. I would encourage you that uh, if, if you don't, if you've not uh, visited with our children's leaders and talked about serving there to allow people to grow in here and share the load of, of service there, it's not only a great place to serve and they always need the help. But it's a blessing. I mean, it really is a blessing to be a part of the discipleship of a child uh, from, from birth until, you know, we're, we're sending them off now to uh, the student ministry. And, and just on that note, I think we have 76, 76 students that will be uh, attending Strength to Stand on uh, leaving on Saturday and coming back on Monday, which is basically a student ministry retreat. And uh, Mary Elizabeth Beasley and Daniel Green, our student leaders, are going to be taking them along with the parent volunteers, a host of parent volunteers. How many of you have ever worked a student ministry retreat? Just raise your hand up high. Y'all are blessed and highly favored, man, I'm telling you. 
Now, no, serious, serious business, that is a, a, a very exhausting but rewarding weekend. And so we're, we're going to pray to dismiss. We're going to pray over our students, the safety of our students. We're just going to pray uh, over that, that God does a wonderful work in the next generation of our church, all right? Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed.